The Shakeup is brought to you by HubSpot Podcast Network. That's right. The HubSpot Podcast Network is a one-stop audio destination for business professionals. It's where education meets inspiration with amazing shows like My First Million, where you can hear stories from the entrepreneurs who made it big. And where the hosts, Sam and Sean, don't shy away from the tough questions. With access to a collection of marketing, sales, service, and operation shows, you'll have all the information you need as your company goes from startup to scale up and beyond. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash Podcast Network. You're listening to The Shakeup, where we explore the business decisions that dared to be different and the leaders who are shaking up their industries. My name is Alexis Gay. I'm Brianne Kimmel. And on each episode, we'll bring in research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of business leaders and learn how they make the decisions that challenge the status quo. You can support the show by following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or honestly, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there, hanging out, talking business, ready and waiting to shake things up. Are you ready to dive in? I am so ready to dive in. Let's get started. So today we're bringing you a particularly beautiful episode of The Shake Up. First, we're talking K-beauty, Shark Tank, subscription boxes, cosmetic creation, and glow gangs. Wow. And later we'll be interviewing Sarah Lee and Christine Chang, the co-founders of Glow Recipe. I mean, I'm glowing just talking about it. I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Let's get started. Okay. So let's put on a little foundation. Shall we? <laughs> you, you went okay, there. Okay, good. Did you get it? All right. I was waiting for you to laugh. <laughs> Brian, did you know that the current U.S. cosmetics market is valued at $95.92 billion? Wow, that's crazy. That's so much money. I think that's how much I spent at Sephora once. Um, and Glow Recipe, which was founded in 2014, is on a mission to break down what K-beauty is all about. Educate consumers on the unique trends coming out of Korea, bring them best-in-class skincare offerings, and make them accessible to American consumers through repositioning and education. Sounds great. I mean, I was looking at their product line and their marketing and their community, and everything looked gorgeous, delicious, beautiful. I was ready to run right out and buy everything that they make. Yeah, I know. I've always been very impressed with just the overall look and feel. They're really beautiful, bright colors. So the product itself is very Instagrammable, which we'll speak to actually kind of where they came from, starting with curation and now they're, they've transitioned into creating their own products. Absolutely. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about K-Beauty, which uh, for those not in the know is Korean beauty. And something that I learned recently is that Korean skincare is culturally considered hygiene, which is definitely not the case in the U.S., or at least that's never been how I've thought about it. Have you thought about it like that? No. I mean, I, th- I think that's a new concept generally. I think even this new idea where recently facials have been you know, positioned as being proactive medicine and things that you should do on a more ongoing mm-hmm. basis. I think that's very new in American culture. I think historically it's always been viewed as cosmetics and less about more health and wellness and proactive medicine. That's a really good point. I used to only associate facials with like a luxurious day at the spa. Like that was something very fancy women did only. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I also find with um, with things like Glow Recipe, I mean, they've done an amazing job of, of turning it into something that's more of a community and something that people want to talk about as part of their broader routine. It's very fun. It's very colorful. It skews like even a little bit tweeny, which I really Mm. like because I think it's something where these are the types of products that are fun and fresh and good for your skin. And so if you're thinking about more 
you know, proactive skincare and things that you want to do, you know, earlier in life, like pre, pre anti-aging and pre like luxurious spa experiences. I think <laughs> pre anti-aging, is that just like being alive? <laughs> like, <laughs> so when did we ever, when is pre anti-aging? Would love to be in that phase. <laughs> <laughs> I think Glow Recipes really nailed it on sort of the fun, proactive um, style of skincare. Something else that was interesting is that, you know, since skincare is so integrated into society, Korea is really at the forefront of skincare technology in general. And typically, people say they're about five years ahead of the United States. And what I remember is the 10-step routine used to be really popular uh, in K-beauty. And it's sort of now catching up in the U.S. But I have also heard that K-Beauty is now about minimalizing the number of products and um, really caring much more about the ingredients themselves. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to the founders about their choice of ingredients as well, because Mm -hmm. I find in traditional Korean beauty, there will be certain types of ingredients that are used. Like oftentimes you'll see a lot of ginseng, you'll see some licorice root, Mm. you'll see some bamboo extract. Like there's things that definitely have more of an Eastern influence. Yeah. With the Glow recipe that's available in the U.S., it feels very tailored for the States. Like you have mm. watermelon masks, you have a whole avocado line. Like it just feels <laughs> like it's very much built for millennials and, and Gen Zs that, you know, are really tapped into like the cultural, like the food trends that exist today. Oh, yeah. I love the term cosmeceuticals. I think it's mm. um, it's such an interesting term because yes. I think what, what started a few years ago is like scaring everyone into clean beauty because every chemical and ingredient is bad. I yes. think now where we've we've evolved into this world of viewing cosmetics and the like everything that we use like whether it be the things that we drink and consume or you know the products that we put on our skin people are being a lot more mindful of like it is each new ingredient that we're adding to the equation going to somehow improve our health and well-being and if not like be mm. more careful and cautious with what you're doing totally obviously everybody knows this but like your skin is an organ like things can come into your body through your skin and it just feels like nobody thought about that for a long time. And then suddenly one day they were like, don't put that on your face. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I also wonder to what extent is this like us getting older where now I can actually afford the fancier products where I know what ingredients are inside Mm -hmm. of it. But I I love the fact that Glow Recipe is able to do this in such an approachable way. I think it's it's really fun. It's really colorful. I wish I could show off all the the visuals, Mm -hmm. but it's like if it, because they're able to mirror like the things that we love to eat already, it's like I know and yes. trust avocados, and I trust that avocados are good for my body. Um, yeah, if there's so an avocado, avocado mask, mask is probably good for your body. <laughs> exactly, it's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, and they're really just lovely to look at. Which I'm not saying that's like the reason that I would purchase something, but it's also very much the reason I would purchase something. You know? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into the um, community part of uh, Glow Recipe's business model as well because I'm the mm. type of person that in the the era of Instagram, like every yeah. decision that I make is some I, – I know it is somehow based on like something that I've seen yeah. through Instagram where, you know, I – I love watching a lot of the the beauty videos before I buy anything. Like I'm a Ooh. very considered purchase. Like I make a lot of considered purchases. That's so interesting. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to identify that if you're in this space right now, like how your products will look in the hands of influencers and beauty bloggers is a huge part of marketing your product effectively. I think that um, something that I think about when I 
go for new skincare and makeup is asking my friends, like, well, what do you use? Do you have a hyaluronic acid you really like? Or do you use eye cream or whatever? And in a way, you know, them employing these community managers, micro-influencers, et cetera, it is similar to being able to ask your friend. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's also great, too. I mean, I just see um, with the way that they show up on social media, I mean, they do a great job of being as transparent as possible. Hmm. And I see this as being a, a fundamental shift in how cosmetics companies show up in the world. Like, if I think back to when I was growing up, cosmetics ads were largely in fashion magazines. They were mostly using like celebrities or famous yep. models. The photos were heavily retouched. Like it would be it would be nearly impossible to really understand exactly what the products are doing and right. to what extent like, the products were airbrushed 100%. and yeah, it, it was a lot of post-production work whereas yeah. today if you look at Glow Recipes Instagram a lot of the photos, they actually tag which ones, um, you know, are unretouched and they yes, show a before picture free. and an after picture. And a lot of them are makeup free. I loved free. that. I love that. And I really love that. I think that really changes, like, how we think about um, transparency um, when it comes to physical products. I think yep. it also is really re- encouraging for the next generation because it's much different to see someone that looks like you in an unretouched photo than mm-hmm. seeing like a famous celebrity who's heavily airbrushed and like what what does that do to your confidence if you're like a teenager or you know someone that's dealing with a skin condition it's better to see someone that looks like you it's unretouched like it just mm-hmm. gives you that confidence because you're like okay cool we're in this together like that that ties into the community aspect even with something as simple as photography totally and to zoom out on that idea of community for just a second and I don't mean to sound all like woo woo about this but Every brand and company that puts out models and photos that are unretouched or that are makeup-free or that showcase what real people look like, that to me is all an important sort of like brick in the path of us reaching a place where we're not just constantly bombarding people with, here's what you should look like. Glow Recipe is a great example where it's like we're seeing these like incremental steps towards like more Mm -hmm. authenticity. Yes, towards like, you know, brands becoming not just like pushers of products, but actually like a safe Mm. place for people to talk about their skin. And, you know, Mm. if this is skewing a little bit younger, it's a safe place for people to see like, oh yeah, everyone has acne. Like we're all teenagers or we're all, you know, early twenties and dealing with different stress and different changes to our skin. And so it gives you, you know, a stronger sense of confidence and it shows you that there are people like you in the world. Okay, so Brienne, something that Glow Recipe did in their uh, several years ago is that the co-founders went on Shark Tank in 2015. Do you watch Shark Tank? I do every once in a while. I'm, I'm a venture capitalist. I have to watch it. And at the time of their presentation, they had about 550k in sales. A year later, they had a million dollars in sales. They actually didn't take the deal they were offered in the tank. Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. I mean, this is something that I've observed on Shark Tank is that. You know, for the amount of money that they're raising, the investors are taking a pretty significant amount of ownership, if you think about it. Like, for someone to buy 10 to 25% of your company, you would expect them to essentially be an extension of your early team or be viewed as almost a quiet co-founder. And the interesting thing is, like, we don't see this as much for tech companies because rarely... um, Rarely are you taking a term sheet from an investor that you haven't met before, that you haven't spent a bunch of time with. I think especially in this environment, like you will have 
multiple hours with an investor over multiple different meetings where you you get together, you talk about your product, you talk about mm-hmm. go to market, they make some introductions for, you know, candidates that you should hire after you raise the money. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of courting that happens ahead of um any sort of term sheet being signed right. and that happens on both, both sides. On, the, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's one of these things. I mean, I, I hate to use the analogy, but it is like a marriage from the perspective mm-hmm. that once you sign the paper and someone owns, you know, 15 to 20% of your company, it's very hard to get rid of that investor. And so you want to make sure that they're delivering a lot of value and that they are truly helpful. So I don't blame them for not jumping into something right away. Um, I also find that like Shark Tank, let's be honest, it's great for visibility. Yeah. And so they are, they are master marketers. Um, and as individuals that have previously, you know, turned cosmetics into a community, I love the fact that they went on this show, which is amazing for just generating more brand awareness. It's great for getting the product in front of like a mainstream audience across America. It's also very cool and very on brand that they didn't take the offer. Like I actually find that to be like, oh, cool. That's great. Like they don't actually need the money. Yeah. A lot of that really makes a ton of sense. It, on the show, they often say, well, yes, this is more expensive because you're getting a shark, implying that, of course, there's strategic value to having that particular investor over another investor, which I understand. But in the case of Glow's pitch, they went in asking for $425,000 for 10%, and the offer they got was $425,000 for 25% of their company, taking the valuation from you know $4.2 million to kind of like around a million. I mean, that's a, that's a big, big difference in valuation. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know that the... Um you know, the hustle revealed that 56% of Shark Tank contestants had successfully made deals and that the average deal was $286,000 and yep. an average of 27% of equity given up. Which is higher so, than I would think, by the way. That's yeah, so much I mean, of your company to give away. The hustle also said that women were more likely than men to secure deals. 60% of the women that went on versus 53% of the men, but they were still pretty underrepresented on the show, 24% versus 60%. And they were offered smaller deals on average, which I, uh, it, on, on, on its face, that fact bums me out. But then I also would like to know more. I'd like to know more before I like get up in arms. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I want to know which companies they were because, you know, not all companies should be necessarily valued at the same amount. But on on its face, I don't love the stat. We don't love to see it. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't love to see this at all. I do like the fact that you can go on this show and tell an amazing story and the people that they bring on are experts in some very niche and interesting spaces. Totally. And they're doing great. So it sounds like even though they didn't end up taking the deal, obviously that does not mean that you won't ultimately be successful in the market. So good on Glow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think it's, um, you know, it speaks to this evolution of them going from like starting out as as more of a, a website that was curating um, Korean cosmetics to this like this shift to creating something new. So what do we think about this whole move from curator to creator? What do you think are the advantages to, for them to have moved into actually creating the whole product line versus just curating the ones that they liked the most? Curation is an approachable art form. And so if someone is listening to the podcast and they're thinking about starting something, 
to actually start a physical product is a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of upfront costs. It requires more humans to help you get the idea off the ground and get your product in market. But curation is something that you can do a little bit every day. Totally. Some of the disadvantages that come up for me when I think about curation over creation is that at a certain point, your differentiation is only your ability to like pick up on other people or other products. And I do think that at a certain point, your value will increase if you yourself are moving from curation to creation and creating something yourself. And I suppose to put that differently, it kind of feels, maybe this is a controversial statement, it kind of feels like curation as value has a shelf life. There seems like there's an expiration date on that where okay, they're still curating. Whereas if you move that and take that expertise into creation, like the founders of Glow Recipe did, I think that's actually really exciting. And that's the way to level up after you've sort of plateaued as a curator. Yeah. After the break, we'll talk with Glow Recipe co-founders, Sarah and Christine, and learn how they made the choice to move their company from curation to creation. We'll also talk about how you bring an entire market stateside and who knows, maybe we'll become honorary members of the Glow Gang. I'm into it. All that and more coming up next. Today's episode is sponsored by those fine folks over at HubSpot. Managing conversations with prospects and customers and creating a remarkable experience can be tough. HubSpot wants to change that. That's why they created a CRM platform that makes it easy to align across teams. Oh, it's so much easier. With HubSpot's unified system of record, all teams can create a better customer experience without missing a beat. We love a unified system of record. We always say that. <laughs> you can install live chat on your website and allow sales or support to get in touch with prospects directly. Or send marketing emails on behalf of sales reps or customer success managers. Not to mention, it allows prospects to book meetings with reps without wasting time. Yeah, and best of all, teams can get access to all of a contact's history so they can have more informed conversations with prospects and customers and design a better overall experience. The result, all your customer people can align around the same goals, consistently great customer journeys that drive growth and lifetime loyalty. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and leave a review. And if you don't like what you hear, uh, tell a friend anyway. And don't forget to subscribe. Okay. Honestly, if it were socially acceptable for me to be doing this interview wearing a watermelon glow, hyaluronic clay, pore tight facial mask, you know that I would be right now. We're here with Sarah Lee and Christine Chang, the co-founders of Glow Recipe. Welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Sarah Lee, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Glow Recipe. My name is Christine Chang, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Glow Recipe. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, we're so excited to talk with you today. So we've been talking about the incredible growth of Glow Recipe and just K-beauty in general. Absolutely. It seems to me like through the work of several companies, but particularly Glow Recipe, Americans are increasingly aware of K-beauty and the philosophy behind K-beauty. You know, I think they're, in the past, maybe there have been more associations as this, like, only being a 10-step regimen. But I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little more, like, right. what are the actual key markers of K-beauty? Yeah, of course. So 
The whole catalyst for us starting this was actually the realization that there was a burgeoning interest in Korean beauty at the time. Yeah. This was all the way back in 2014. And we were always, we were also seeing not only customers, but also global companies looking to Korean manufacturers and Korean labs for the latest innovations mm. in skincare and ingredients yeah. and in technologies. And that was fascinating to us. And we were also seeing that Korean beauty articles, to your point at the time, were very focused on yeah. this is a 10 to 15 step regimen, like how to use this type of ingredient. And it would be almost a little bit, in terms of content, a little bit too clickbaity versus really getting at the heart of the matter, which is Korean beauty is about a philosophy. And it's something that we <laughs> ourselves learned at our mothers and grandmothers' knees growing up. We both have these amazing memories of, you know, our grandmothers using mm. watermelon rind and rubbing that on the skin um, to soothe heat rash or a mother is just marching over to the pantry. And I know Sarah's uh, mother is one of her favorite mm. ingredients was cucumber slices, or my mom mm. would like to use grated potato and just that holistic, very easy, accessible approach to natural ingredients, incorporating that into your self-care routine. We would very often mask together with our moms while watching TV. And it, hmm. it wasn't a chore. It wasn't an arduous 15-step thing you had to get through. It was fun. And, you know, skincare over the years, we felt, hmm. had in general kind of lost that sense of fun and sensoriality as well. So... That was really the mission that sparked this. It does feel like the U.S. in a lot of ways has been very behind in educating, you know, everyone on the fact that skincare is actually part of this broader move into health and wellness. And it's not really about just cosmetics and looking great anymore, but it's actually a part of your overall health and well-being. What were some of your feelings as far as like the U.S. being a little bit behind and maybe our definition of skincare and, and, and directionally, like where you wanted to take it long term. In Korea, prevention is such a key word when it comes to skincare. You have to have layers of hydration in every step of your routine in order to mm -hmm. prevent your skin from signs of aging. Of course. Um, you have to wear SPF every day. You know, we've learned this from a young age, but I think we're learning that more now in the U.S. versus maybe 10 years ago, right? SPF is an everyday essential. We all know this now, and it's become a movement in the skincare world here, but it wasn't the case many years ago. Um, double cleansing is absolutely critical if you're wearing makeup or SPF because mm. only an oil can remove another oil. And typically, makeup products are made with oils. But there was an education around, you know, these types of intricate nuances. It's great to hear the fact that this education, you know, created the first version of Glow Recipe, which actually started out as more of a curation platform. Can you tell us a little bit more about that evolution from becoming the trusted source in your friend group for K-Beauty products to then curating this amazing new experience that turned into an amazing community and a very big audience. Absolutely. So we flew over in 2014 to Korea without so much as a site to get some brands on board. And we pounded the pavement to find these brands that many of which we're still very close to today. And they were helmed. The commonality mm. was that they were all helmed by really passionate brand founders, mm. had unique products, had really clear product formulation philosophies. And yeah. we felt like these were the brands that needed a voice here, that needed to be introduced to 
the U.S. and other global markets because mm-hmm. of the sheer, just astounding innovation and, and beautiful textures and ingredient stories we were seeing. And so after a lot of convincing, and I think it really helped that even though we didn't have a site, we had a very clear vision as to where we wanted to take this. Um, we were able to get, I think it was eight or nine brands on wow. board. and On that one trip. We kicked off our site right away after returning home. We Googled <laughs> on that one trip and we Googled <laughs> furiously to figure out how to build a site from scratch. There were a lot of mishaps along the way. I still cringe a little bit when I see the early iterations of our site because at the time we were like, it looks great. <laughs> but now, now looking back on it, there you know were some clear optimization opportunities. Mm. But it was so fun. Like every day we were making emails <laughs> ourselves. Yes. We were cold calling journalists ourselves. We were figuring out the social media content mm. and, and figuring out like natural ingredients. Um, had like a half-cut avocado mm. harbinger of like future things. And just, it was a lot of scrappiness, but also we really enjoyed it because we, once again, we knew each and every step we were taking was getting us closer to our goal of bringing K-beauty, Korean beauty philosophy to the wider audience in the way that we thought was right. Yeah. We knew that eventually we would have to take that step ourselves because we ourselves had that formulation philosophy internally that we wanted to really you know, materialize and manifest through through our own brand. Mm. And the right timing for that eventually became 2017. So a couple years after launching Glow Recipe as a curation site, we launched our own in-house fruit forest skincare brand that you see today on the shelves of Sephora right. um, in mid-2017 and exclusively with Sephora at the time. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, once again, a very close partnership with the retailer to make sure that we were successfully launching the brand but after launching it just seeing once again that response the the multi-thousand person wait list selling out multiple times wow that to us was so so rewarding and i think it was an accumulation of Mm -hmm. many years of creating a community creating educational content and really thinking about what we stood for as a brand and that really crystallized with the creation of Glow Recipe Skincare. Totally. And so we had both um, for a while and then eventually in 2019, we actually decided to phase out of our curation brands because we were seeing increasingly from our community that they were so passionate about Glow Recipe Skincare, they wanted more products, more innovation. And we're a very small team. From that point, when you started growing your successful curation business, you mentioned that you ultimately made the decision, I think you said in 2016? 2017. In 2017. What was that like? What were the things that were coming up in the market that gave you the idea at first to move away from curation? What were you thinking about at the time? I'll take this one. So there are a lot of variables, but I think the first reason why we started as a curation business model was because we wanted to give the platform and the opportunity to these brilliant founders and brands to go global by providing the content and education and marketing that we were able to provide. Um, and once we were able to gain that credibility in the market, I think that's when we needed to really think about what we wanted to do as founders, when we were able to identify the white space of sort of the combination of the Korean-inspired core tenets, Mm. plus the things that American consumers really resonate with, which are real results, clear ingredient stories, 
right? Mm. Um, and then the Korean tenants were the <laughs> sensorial experience and the skin entertainment yeah. factor, yeah. right? Because the experience is as important as a result is the Korean approach. This is that little, you know, moment for yourself behind shut doors in front of your vanity to just put a smile on your face. And so we wanted to provide that. And I think what we wanted to do was combine those tenants and um, create our own brand because we didn't really think that all of the influx of totally. amazing Korean beauty innovations were fully understood by the American consumer. Mm. We felt the urge to break down that barrier um, and create our own brands that are actually much simplified yeah. by creating them as multitasking products, but having these amazing Korean-inspired elements, um, which is why we created Glow Recipe Skincare in 2017. With Glow Recipe Skincare... It just felt right. Like our community could not get enough. People were DMing us, our the brand, our, our personal Instagrams, nonstop asking about the next drop, like product suggestions, mm -hmm. ideas. There was just so much passion and buzz around this brand. And we knew that we had struck a chord with it because it was this balance of, yes, Korean beauty philosophy, but also results first. It was a balance between familiar fruit mm -hmm. antioxidants and used in really innovative ways they never happened before, but then paired with proven actives like the retinols and the AHAs and all of the acids and ex different actives that we have come to come to know and love in the skincare industry. And also the fact that we were speaking about fun in skincare, because for the longest time, I think skincare had been really dominated by a lot of very clinical brands. And of course, those brands are so many brands that are in that space are also really amazing. But I think that sense of sensoriality, that extra moment, that touch that made your self-care routine that much more special. All of this was mm. really, really appreciated. And we felt like it was our almost duty to the community to make sure that we were giving them what they wanted. And so it was mm. a balance of different emotions, <laughs> a balancing yeah. act of different things we were doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think we did it looking back I don't know that we would have changed anything because we really mm -hmm. try to do it in the most thoughtful way possible. I love that you keep mentioning community. This is a word that keeps coming up. And I think that is something that's fairly new in skincare. How did you think about, you know, with the early community that you had built around curation, were there specific ways that you were able to learn from those founders or continue to build a relationship with them once you made the transition from curation over to Glow Recipe where it is today? Some of the founders um, from the curation brands are still our friends to this date. So there's a lot of synergy actually that comes from that because we can always pick up the phone, call them, ask them for opinions about certain things. You know, we're both brand builders and creators, right? So we share so much in, you know, in common. You know, we terminated our curation business model, but the relationships and the friendships continued to this day. We still, you know, touch base with them once in a while, make sure that if they have any questions around navigating the U.S. market, we're there for them because we want everyone to succeed at the same time, right? I think that, you know, when we were transitioning to a creation business, we were not only giving them connections um, to the networks that we had with the retailers, but also we were asking our customers to not forget about these products or brands. And um, we were giving them, you know, site links to those products 
to continue to shop them because we, you know, we curated them for a reason. We love them for a reason. So we wanted everyone to win-win out of that situation. And um, I think the, I think it's the best outcome that we could have asked for. Something that strikes me is that when I hear you talk about making that shift, that big business pivot from curation to creation, it, it sounds like even at the time you felt very confident that this was the next move, this was the correct evolution for your company. And I'm wondering, did you ever have any doubts at that time that this was the right move? Or were you 100% confident, we got this, it's time to make our own stuff? I love that. I don't think we had doubts per se, but then it's really hard to gauge the level of success a brand will have, right? Sure. There are so many brands in the industry. We've, you know, had many conversations with many people in the industry about how saturated the market is. So each and every brand that comes into existence needs to have a real point of difference and a real reason to be. And I think with Glow Recipe Skincare, hmm. we were able to really distill some of those personal experiences, oh. those personal passion points yeah. into the brand. I think for us, what served us a North Star throughout this process is really just going back to the customer. We started with the customer. We're ending there. Like, what do they want? How do we best serve their needs? How do we create moments for them that really disrupt their self-care experience? How do we provide products yeah. that are different and, and really add value to their routine <laughs> when they buy it and make it part of their skincare wardrobe? So that perspective, I think, has continued to serve us. And it goes back to those early days where we ourselves were answering every single customer email, wow. handwriting notes to every single person who purchased from our site, DMing and yeah. you know manning those DMs on a day-to-day basis. And even to this day, we, we check our DMs a lot when a customer DMs us with feedback and things like that. We might not be able to write those handwritten notes anymore because we wouldn't have any time other than writing notes at this point, but yes, <laughs> that would be your whole day. <laughs> like not losing that contact, I think has been instrumental and, in, and in making sure that we're navigating this the right way. Well, that's a very clear guiding mission. I can tell and how you make a lot of the decisions for the business, but I'm wondering how you balance keeping that customer first community first mentality with some of the less glamorous aspects of creating a product. Yeah. So, you know, part of um, what we've learned is, you know, we're first time entrepreneurs. So (laughs) a lot of things that we've learned and are still learning is how do we balance everything when we have to oversee everything as founders and co-CEOs. I think the, the, the great benefit that we have today is that we have such an incredible, incredible talented team. And you know, I don't mean to say that because they're my team. I right. think some individuals <laughs> that are um, working under the Glow Recipe umbrella are truly passionate individuals today. I can say that with confidence that they just um, understand the social space. Mm-hmm. They A lot of our team members are actually relatively young and oh. very plugged into, you know, TikTok. And yeah. so they just mm-hmm. have their ears and eyes on the current sort of you know, social media landscape, real time. And because of that, we're able to not only react quickly, but proactively share, you know, what we have um, going on Mm -hmm. transparently with our community. Um, So really just intertwining that communication aspect, but also the decision-making internally Mm. for the business is, is, has been really instrumental. So the team really thinks that way. We think of every team member as a content creator, 
When we hire wow. people, we always ask about their storytelling aspect, you know, their photograph skills. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a very modern approach to, I think, hiring, but also thinking about how each team member can really think in a similar way and be on the same page. Yeah. Right. And we often have brainstorm sessions with our team members, um, just tasking people to think about a challenge that we're facing whether it's a marketing initiative yep. or a new campaign idea where we're stuck on and we want everyone to contribute. Yeah. It's all like sort of intertwined and it's one sort of circular um, wheel, if you think yeah. about it. And that's our approach. And that actually keeps it healthier in a way sure. because you're always kind of just thinking of it as a lifestyle almost for everybody, right? Not, for, not like a segmented department's role yep. or a perspective that's different. Something that really stood out from the conversation earlier is how intentional you both have been in curating products to then, you know, ultimately create your own product. Where do you see the future for Glow Recipe? Um, and how do you sort <laughs> of, uh, uh, how do you think about goal setting as well? Because I think you've done such an amazing job of seamlessly or, you know, from, from our perspective, seamlessly evolving from curation to creation. What's next for new products or what's next from a community standpoint for the company? I think we're doing a much better job now of really communicating, okay, so this is our stance on sustainability. Not only are the jars glass whenever possible, we're also using cartons that are now FSC certified totally. and are free of you know, assets and metals, and we're printing with soy ink. And by 2022, we're committing to be carbon neutral. We've already partnered with Climate Neutral, which is an amazing organization mm. that will help us measure and quantify and then think about plans around reduction. And all of these concrete steps, we've been able to increasingly share with our community so that they know exactly where we're trying to go. There are a lot of plans in the future to continue to really think about those values of the company, whether it's sustainability, whether it's formulation philosophy, whether it's you know, charity causes under our Glow for Good umbrella that are really important to us as a mm. brand. And then one exciting update that we're elated to share with you, it just went live, I think, today, is that as a company, we're committing to donate a uh, million dollars up until the end of 2022 in monetary and product contributions to our charities. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. We're really, really excited to be able to do this. And it revolves around our three pillars of female empowerment, diversity, inclusion, and the environment. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, you said something like, we have maybe, you said like, we have too many ideas or there's a lot that we want to do or something like that. And I'm wondering, what do you think about what keeps you up at night? What's hard right now? What challenges you as co-CEOs? I think, um, actually, it's a really timely question because there mm -hmm. are some key challenges that we're facing today where... As a company, we're very rapidly growing, um, so we're very grateful for that. But that comes with a challenge around how we can make sure that everyone stays motivated and our culture is maintained. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think any entrepreneur can relate with something like this, because at any point of your your uh, entrepreneurial journey, you know, it, your team pretty much makes up most of what makes a success or not. And totally right. And I think people is everything. And so we're trying to figure out how to, you know, hire, because we do need to have at least 10 people more on our team in the next few months. Yeah. We do have a lot of brainstorm sessions because the team is full of ideas and we love having those creative conversations and just really giving everyone an opportunity to voice their thoughts and opinions. 
And going forward, it's really up in the air, right? Because is that, you know, day in the life going to take mm. place at an office? Is it going to continue to be work from home? And these are questions I think every founder, every company owner is grappling with as we move, you know, toward increasingly, you know, getting out of the 100% work from home um, time that we all had to be in. So what does the future of work look like there is something that's definitely on our minds. Amazing. And it sounds like, you know, you're building on a strong foundation that you two touched on at the beginning as friends, as co-founders, and modeling a ton of that behavior, both that you want to see from your team and then also in terms of how you showcase the products yourself online. And so it sounds like you're setting a really good example for everyone that you work with across the board. And it's been such a pleasure to talk with you both today. If people want to find Glow Recipe products and learn more about K-Beauty, where can they find you? You can find us at Glow Recipe on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, (laughs) and glowrecipe.com. You can also reach out to us directly on Instagram at Sarah underbar Glow, Christine underbar Glow. Nice. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. Hey, Rianne, are you ready to do that thing we practiced? Oh my gosh, is it time? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one. Don't Don't forget forget to subscribe and leave leave us us a review. Pretty good. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Production support comes from Lauren Schild. Our engineer is William Lowe, with research from Corey Broccolini. And special thanks to Kyle Denhoff and Lisa Toner. Word of mouth is the best way to help people discover our little podcast. Be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review, you know, to let other people know how awesome we are. We have some amazing guests coming up this season that you won't want to miss. See you next time.